Oh, good evening. Good to see some familiar faces there, Sarah, and uh, on, on that video. Very, very wonderful rendition of Amazing Grace. Let's pray as we come to God's word this evening. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out. Your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, today is the um, second Sunday of Advent, and if you have a Bible, I'm going to read from Luke chapter 1. I'll be reading from verse 39 to 56. And uh, we know, we sometimes take it for granted, but it's helpful sometimes to think about how the people of God would have been waiting, would have been longing, that longing for a Messiah to come. We're longing for all this mess to be over, aren't we? We're kind of longing for, I, I thought Brexit had been long forgotten, but no, it's back, on the, it's back in the scene. There's so much going on. The American election, um, Brexit, and coronavirus. And we're longing, aren't we? We're just longing. But think of the people of God longing for the promised Messiah to come. And in some ways, we too are longing for Christ to come again and to make everything crooked straight. But we're in Luke chapter 1 and verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud voice, loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my Ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, and this is her song, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. 
And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. And may the Lord bless his whole, the reading of his holy words. One of the oldest Christian books outside of the Bible is a first century text, anonymous, called the Didache. And in Greek it means for the teaching. And as I said, it's anonymous and it seems to be a manual on church order. Now that doesn't sound very exciting maybe to you, but I promise you it's a really exciting book. It's a really fascinating book. And it starts like this. There are two ways, one of life and one of death, but a great difference between the two ways. And then begins a famous section in the Didache, the first six chapters, the two ways. And the section was most likely used for instruction, for maybe for those who are seeking to join the church. And this ancient manual, this exciting read, I promise you, was one of the first things they used in the early church to help identify if people understood what they were doing when they came forward to join the church. Which of the two ways are you on? The way that leads to life or the way that leads to death? When I was, had the privilege of serving as pastor in Vienna, there were many refugees. They kept coming, they kept coming across into, into Vienna, into Austria. There was a big centre set up. And it was always a challenge for a pastor because you would have a lot of people, refugees, come to the church and they would want to be baptised. And many times, praise God, it was genuine. But sometimes it was a ticket to the United States. Because, you know, if they could, if they could, if they could hold, have a baptismal certificate, then they couldn't be sent back at any point because it would be sending back to certain death, to some, you know, to some, to, to some nations. So it's a, it's a little bit like that. People were coming forward, and this was an instruction which helped people ascertain as far as they're able we, and we know that the Lord knows those that are his but this is what it was used for and we see something similar in Mary's Magnificat because in the Magnificat she thinks, sings of two ways to live not so much life and death though they lead to life and death but I like to think of them as the way of the lowly and the way of the lofty and the way of the lowly and the way of the lofty are not always what they seem. For one of the great themes of Luke's gospel is that the lowly end up being lifted high and the lofty end up being brought low. Things are not always as they seem. Sometimes there is a great reversal and you seem to be lofty and then you're cast low. And we see in Mary's song, Mary's Magnificat, the way that God has worked and the way he will work. It's completely different to the way the world works. The lowly will be lifted up. The lofty will be cast down. You may remember one of the best examples in scripture is from my favourite book in the Bible. And I say that about almost every book, so please forgive me. But it's Esther, where the king's right-hand man, his henchman, Haman, has it in for that Jew Mordecai. And Mordecai alerted the king of this plot against the king's life. So the king is musing to himself, well, what shall we done to the man whom the king delights to honour? And the king says to Haman, what do you think, Haman? 
And Haman thinks to himself, oh, clearly there is no one the king honours more than me. And on the back of his stinky pride, he had a wonderful plan. And he told it to the king. This is what you should do, king. You should give this man, whom you want to honour, royal robes. Give him a royal horse. Give him a parade throughout the city where you will announce to all the inhabitants that this is the man the king delights to honour. Haman thinks he's pretty smart. He thinks he's a politician. He thinks he's doing it all right. And the king says, that's such a good idea, Haman. Thank you. What a brilliant idea. Now everyone do exactly as Haman said so we can celebrate Mordecai the Jew. Haman went in an instant. His Talk about his balloon being uh, burst. It was, he was a goner. He went in the instant from a man who wanted to be celebrated to seeing the man he wanted dead receiving the honour that he invented for himself. You couldn't make it up, could you? You couldn't make it up. But it's even worse than that for Haman because the gallows which he had built to execute Mordecai on ended up being the cause of his own judgment. So it happened that there is a great reversal. And though we may not always see it in this life, God assures us of it in the next. Jesus came to make everything crooked straight. He came to bind up the brokenhearted. So there are these two ways to live. The way of the lowly. Let's look at that quickly from our text. And there are just three words that Mary uses to describe the way of the lowly. And the first is humble. You see it in verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And then in verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. We're so familiar with the Christmas story. We're so familiar that it doesn't scandalize us like it should. We would not think he would come from Nazareth, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be raised in a little town of a thousand people maybe. It doesn't scandalize us like it should. And then you have Mary. If you were to make a list of all the ways in the ancient world, I'm talking about the ancient world, the culture of the time, that you would be regarded as of low estate, Mary ticks them all. She's poor. She's young. Commentators say she's 13 or 14. And she's a woman, because women were not treated well in that culture. She ticked all those boxes of someone from little established worth, low estate. You could have gone through whole of Judah and not picked out Mary as the one who'd give birth to the Messiah. And yet it is a measure of her humility, not only the estate from which she came, but the more importantly, the way that she sings about the grace of God. I love it that her focus is always on what God has done. You know, she never mentions that she is about to give birth to the Son of God. No kind of humble brag, sort of. Um, I learned this from my kids, by the way, but um, there was no hashtag going to be the mother of the Messiah or no mock humility drawing attention to herself. You know what it's like. 
no, I'm just so humbled. I, I really can't believe it. Just please, would you pray for me? Yes, I just want you to know I, I'm going to be the Messiah's mother. No, none of that. She gives praise to God. All nations will call her blessed. Not because of who she is. Not because of who she is, but because of the Lord's favour on her. You know, in some traditions, Mary is given really exalted titles. You know, she's called the Star of the Sea. She's called the Queen of Heaven. Rome calls her co-redemptrix, co-mediatrix with Christ, as if she partnered with Christ in the atonement. That's blasphemous. She sees herself as nothing of the sort. She considers herself as a poor, lowly maiden favoured by God. And we do not honour Mary at all by heaping on her names that she would have rejected. No, we honour her in the way that she was honoured by recognising that she was blessed. Some call her the Blessed Virgin Mary. And those words are true as long as you remember that you also are blessed like that. The Bible says, not just Mary. The psalmist says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the pure in heart. We can be blessed as Mary was, not in the same way, but we can have the same kind of blessing if we walk in the path of humility. It's hard to be humble. Maybe you have a sense of low estate like Mary and you think you're nothing. Maybe you're here this, this evening and you think you are nothing. Or maybe you have no the right thing to say about your humility. You know that one, I mean, you, know, you claim you're ever so humble, but you really want somebody else to say, no, 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 really, you are great. You are the best thing since sliced bread. Now, some of us have a really hard time believing that we are men, women, children of humble estate. That doesn't mean we have to denigrate ourselves. As has often been said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. It's just going through a day without thinking of yourself every five minutes. Humility is walking throughout life with the profound realisation that God has given me more than I deserve. Now that in itself is not saving faith, but it's the mark of one who's been drawn to God or one who already has been. Or do you walk through your days thinking, why have I just got such a bad deal in life? From my parents, from my school, from Boris Johnson, from God himself. Or do you think that God has been kind to me? in whatever struggles and suffering are in your life, and that he has blessed me. That's the way of the lowly, the way of humility. And the second word is fearful in verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. The way of the lowly is to be fearful, is to fear God. There are bad ways of fear. They're, they're kind of bad kinds of fear. Groveling, sniveling, faith-defeating, anxieties, Worries, terrors in the night. That's not the kind of fear Mary is extolling. Now, in the Old and New Testament, fear is often shorthand for devotion. The world that 
talks about no fear has suddenly this year shown to be very fearful. Very fearful. Very fearful of death. And good reason to be without Christ. Most of us live beset by some set of worries, anxieties. Maybe it's deep down and only comes out in the bitter moments of your life. Maybe it's right at the surface, constantly aware of not measuring up, not having enough, the fear of missing out, supposedly on the wrong side of history, the fear of disappointing your parents, or the fear of being like your parents, or the the fear of your children turning from you, turning from the Lord, the fear of your friends betraying you, the fear of not having any friends, the fear or saying something wrong at some point in your life, maybe at school, maybe at university, maybe in the world, and facing the mob, facing the social media baying mob. The fear of being without money, the fear of being without a job, the fear of being without purpose, the fear of not having your health. We all have fear. I was just, you know, I was just talking to Kevin, you know, myself about six to ten years ago. I, I thought, well, the Lord, you know, Lord, I'm in this place, and you haven't given me much money, but you've given me my health. I often used to, I, I often used to think that, and then He took that. So it's a question of we can, we can have fear. We can pretend that we're ever so macho, and we can pretend that we go out to conquer the. World from strength to strength, but we all fear. And the Bible says that all healthy fear starts with the fear of the Lord. If humility says that God has blessed me more than I deserve, healthy fear says, God, you are big and I am not. Have you been learnt to say that? God, you are big and I am not. And I'm cast on you for mercy. That is why Mary extols that his mercy is for those who fear him. Not for those who run from him. Not for those who thumb their noses at him. Not for those who think that they're in no need of mercy. But those who fear him. And realise that one day we will all stand before a holy God and give account. And if we're relying on our own merits, then we're doomed. See, it's healthy fear, which is the beginning of wisdom. And is the pathway of salvation. God has mercy for those who fear him. You see, it used to be, I would say, in centuries gone, millennia past, that church people, if there was one thing they knew, that it was God was to be feared. And maybe they were one end of the extreme. And maybe they forgot that God was their father, how tender he could be. But our day is way over the other end of the spectrum. The world doesn't fear God. We scarcely have a God that we think is to be feared. Now, if you listen to people, he is a pal. He's a buddy. He's Father Christmas. Not a God to be feared. Not a God before we will all stand. Every man, woman, boy and girl will stand before God and give an account. But Mary sings it so well. If you want to know mercy, you have to know the God who gives mercy. And the God who gives mercy is the God who will also bring 
judgment. So the way of the lowly is the way of humility, the way of fear, and the third word is hunger. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. It could be physical hunger. Certainly at some points in the history of the church, there have been those who face physical hunger, and we know from the persecuted church that there are many today who still face physical hunger. And as they hunger for physical food, they know they have to turn to God if they are to live. But that's not the only kind of hunger. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Have you ever considered that perhaps the reason nothing in this life quite seems to live up to the hype is because we were made for something more than this life? Maybe we are meant to hope for something more. When does food taste best? I'm, t- you know, I'm talking about you know, just general food. It's when you're hungry, isn't it? It's when you're really hungry, food tastes the best. Do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? Have you been so satisfied, satiated by the empty fast foods of the world that you're not hungry for the things of God? As Kevin prayed at the beginning, it's good to be together. We should be hungry for the things of God. We should be hungry to worship him. There's always someone in most families who's always hungry, isn't there? Maybe it's you, or maybe it's your child. Um, or maybe we say it's our child, but it's actually me. But, but, but what about your heart? Some of us have gone a long time without really hungering after righteousness. To pray. Would you pray this Christmas season, Oh God, I want to be holy. Oh God, make me more like Jesus. God, I want to know more of Christ this Christmas. There's going to be a lot of things we aren't able to do, but we can do that. No, we're far too satisfied. We have clothes, we have a house, we have food, we have nice Christmas songs. Or not, I'm not particularly fond of them. And we want to have some nice COVID-19 sanitised Christmas holidays. If I hear all I want for Christmas is you one more time, no, it's okay. But we'll see in a moment what happens to those who are filled. Here we see the hungry will be filled with good things. The way of the lowly is the way of humility, fear, and hunger. If you can remember that, the way of the lowly is the way of humility, fear in the Lord, and hungering for righteousness. And the lofty, again, just three words. The first word is proud. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. There is a right way to be proud. You can be proud of your children for what they do. You can be proud when of something you've worked hard on. We use the word in many different ways, but this is the kind of pride that thinks we have a reason to be elevated before God. Haman you know, demonstrates it very well. And the world isn't going to help us because the world tells you that you are amazing, that you are smart, that you are beautiful, that you are perfect just the way you are. Now, they don't mean it. They absolutely don't mean it. But they say it because there are lots of things that you can find instant shame and judgment from the world. But they give you that message. But even if they did mean it, it's not the gospel. Do not be confused. That is not the gospel. God does not come to us and say, look at you. You are perfect. Nothing needs to change. You are amazing. 
There are a lot of Christians that have come to believe that is the sort of God we have. And the temptation, the pressure is for people like me to preach what people want to hear, not what they need to hear. But it is far better than that, brothers and sisters. It is far better than that because God loves us enough not to leave us where we are. Isn't that amazing? That God loves us enough to tell us the truth. It's God who says to us, all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. All like sheep have gone astray. You are born one way, you can be born again another way. That's good news. And it's far better than anything we could have imagined. You see, the pride Mary speaks of, of the way of the lofty, feels sufficient, independent. Mary knows how to be a woman highly favoured by God. The way of the lofty is the way of pride. The second word, verse 52, is the way of the mighty. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. This is the opposite. Those who have lowly estate, those of high estate, those who sit on thrones, be careful of the subtle snare of power in your life and my life. Not all power is bad. God has power. He gives to your parents power. He gives to elders a certain kind of power. He gives to government power. The world doesn't work without power. It isn't that power is evil, but the chasing after it, the grasping onto it, the climbing over people to get it, the sinful attacking for it, that is the mighty that Mary has in mind. There are lots of ways we grasp after power. Good looks, good, good looks can give you power. Skill, the musical instrument can give you power. Good grades can give you power. Um, you can be not- notorious. And even preaching sermons can give you power. Victimhood can give you power. And Mary says in a song that if you're holding on to that as your identity, you have a throne, you have power, you're mighty. You're not in a good place when the great reversal comes. And the third word is verse 53, riches. He's filled the hungry with good things, the rich he has sent away empty. Riches, of course, can be more than material wealth, but it's not less than that. There is a danger that most of us face Because when you are rich in things, many times, if you look at our world, it is easier to be poor in God. Because you can go through most of your days thinking that you have all you need. You have insurance, you have retirement, you have money in the bank, you have a job. It's easy to think you have what you need when you're materially wealthy. But the riches that Mary is talking about aren't the riches that come from pounds and pence. It's not just that the rich are full, but they're full of themselves. That is the danger. Revelation 3, the letter to the church in Laodicea, Jesus says to the wealthy people there, you think you do not need anything. And Jesus gives the mirror to their soul. He says, you're wretched, naked, pitiable and blind. You think you're the big cheese, but really you stink and maybe that is the word he has for some of us what will happen when the big shots are lowered and the lowly are lifted up god doesn't demand that we all trade places luke is the evangelist to the rich 
Luke has, give, Luke has given an example to Theopolis of people like Barnabas and the women who follow Jesus, those who have means, how they can be generous of heart and spirit. But we need to be aware of the dangers. So the way of the lowly, humility, fear of the Lord, and hunger after righteousness. And the way of the lofty, proud, human pride, human power, and material wealth. So there are two ways, but there's one God. And you can see what this God is like. In verse 47, he is a saviour. He is a saviour God, which means we need deliverance. In verse 49, he is mighty, which means we are small. In verse 49, he is holy, which means we must be sinners. In verse 51, he is strong, which means we are weak. And we will see what he will do, what he has done, and what he will do again. Mary sings of it with past or perfect tense. He has brought down, he has scattered, he has filled. And it is as if this prophetic word is certain of what God will do. So she depicts it as already having happened. It's the way that God works. It is the way he has worked. It is the way he does work. And it is the way he will work. I've been challenged about revival ever since a meeting that Kevin led a few weeks back. Are we concerned enough to pray for it? Are we concerned enough to pray for the, for the men and the women and the boys and girls who live even in our neighbourhoods? Because he can, God will do it again. It is the way that God works. It's the way he has worked. It's the way he does work. And it's the way he will work. There will be a great reversal. And we will see the government of the world is ruled by divine providence, not by impersonal fate. One of our, one of our most celebrity figures said this week something about being humbled in the face of nature. No, humbled in the face of God. God. Almighty God who created the world. In whose every our, our breath is, is in his hand. Your, your life isn't ruled by fate or chance or luck, but by God. And the, and the two responses could not be any clearer. Look how God responds to the lowly. In verse 48, he looks upon the humble. In verse 49, he does great things for us. In verse 50, he is merciful towards us. In verse 52, he exalts us. In verse 53, he fills us. In verse 54, he helps us. Fulfilling his promises to Abraham. That's the way of the lowly. If your path is marked by humility, by fear in the Lord, by hungering after righteousness, then good news is God is for you. He will help you. He will fill you. He will exalt you. He will be merciful. He is for you. But then there's the way of the lofty. Look, at, look what God does. Verse 51, he scatters the proud. Verse 52, he brings down the mighty from their thrones. And verse 53, he sends away the rich empty. Do you understand why I'm using this language of a great reversal? Everyone low, and I'm talking about 
the state of your heart will be exalted. Everyone in Mary's song who is exalted gets low. And if you're starving now, you're going to have a meal in heaven. But if you're full now, enjoy it, because that's all you're going to get. You're going to leave empty. Matthew Henry puts it so well, God takes pleasure in disappointing their expectations who promise themselves great things in the world. And he delights in outdoing the expectations of those who promise themselves but a little. What what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world, the whole world, but suffers the loss of his soul? You will find a few sentences as countercultural as that, even in many churches, that God takes pleasure to disappoint the expectations to those who think they are owed great things in life. The lowly will be lifted up, the lofty will be cast down. And you know the rest of the story. Jesus, our example, and Jesus, the way. Jesus, who left, no one left a more lofty position than Jesus, the eternal Son of God, that he might be clothed in human flesh and come to us as a weak, helpless baby, that he might all his life suffer taunts and assaults, the suffering of human life, and he was attacked, persecuted, murdered, and killed. You will not find a better example than Jesus, and there is no other way, there is no other name than the Lord Jesus. It's only by faith in him. The song of Mary is not that God wants people to be humble in life and don't be so full of yourself. Mary's song is always Godward. It's about God. It's about how God looks upon those who are meek before him and gives them great reward. What path are you on? I beg of you, ask yourself that. What path are you on? Is your life marked by a lowliness of spirit or is it a loftiness of heart? Look at verse 38. After Mary is told she will give birth to the Messiah, she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The world talks a lot about identity, all the different things that we are identified by. But this is where biblical identity starts. Mary says, I am a servant of the Lord. And if you get that right, a whole lot of other things will fall into place. And if you get that wrong, most everything else about you will be wrong. She doesn't say, I am the Lord. She says, I am a servant. And then she doesn't say, I am a servant of my employer or my nation. I'm a servant of the Lord. You get that in place and you can say with humility and with honesty, let it be to me according to your word. That's the way of the lowly. That's the way of Mary's song. That is the way of Christ. Mary's way is not the world's way. The world says, grab onto it. Fight for yourself. Exalt yourself. Fight for yourself. You can be who you want to be. Platform yourself. And God shows us a better way. The way of Christ. And Mary's way is the way of joy, satisfaction and blessing. So today I invite you to identify with a young, poor virgin. And in identifying with her, we identify with her confidence, her hope, her exuberance, 
and ultimately with the child that will be born from her womb, our Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless you this Christmas and may God give you peace for his name's sake.